Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are Praise God. I believe we're going to be blessed today. Every time we open up the word, we're blessed. And um, I, know, I know it's just going to be a blessing today. And if you have your notepad, go ahead and open it. If you have your smart device, open it. Get ready to take notes. Get ready to write down some points because I believe that the Lord wants to speak to all of us. And don't think that if you're here like, oh, man, you know, it's just going to be for fathers. It's not. Just like we do every Mother's Day as well, this message, we could grab them and apply it to every single one of our lives, whether you're a father, uh, whether you're a mother, it doesn't matter. But today, yes, we'll, 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 we might talk about fathers, but we're going to talk about the Father, and, and we're going to glorify Him, and we're going to honor Him, and we're going to speak of Him and of His heart today. Today's message, if you're writing notes, write this down, it's called The Father's Delight. The Father's Delight. And you might ask, well, where'd, where'd you come up with that title? Uh, I actually read a book uh, by David Platt. If you've ever uh, read it, you, you probably know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, I, I encourage you to pick it up. It's a book that is titled Follow Me. It's a great book. It's a great read. And in chapter five of that book, he has a chapter and it's titled uh, Children of God, that one chapter. And he talks in a segment in his book, uh, David Platt, about uh, the father's delight. And it, and it really touched me, and this message is not based um, on this chapter, uh, but it was um, influenced, and, it, and, and, and I was um, touched by that chapter, which led uh, to this message. So I think about <clears throat> immediately uh, about a father and us as children, and, I, and I'm taken to 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 1. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he writes this, see how very much our Father loves us. And we're talking about how much love and gratitude. Just imagine the smile on the Father's face when he saw these children up here. When he sees you, that he loves you. You might be like, well, I'm an adult. It doesn't matter how old you are. You will always be a child of God. Did you hear me, sons and daughters? You will always be a child of God. And 1 John 3, 1, it says, see how very much our Father loves us. And look what it says next. For he calls us his children. You just pause about that and, and just go on National Geographic. Go on the History Channel if you want. And yet that doesn't even come short. It falls short. It doesn't even come close to the, the grandeur of who our Father is. The one who created everything. Our father, and yet our father calls us children. His children. And I love how he says, and that is what we are. Look at the person next to you and say, that's what you are. You're a child of God. You've ever woken up in the morning and you just didn't feel like a child of God? You, or maybe you went to, you finished your day, took a shower, maybe you laid on your bed. Like today, I just feel like it wasn't a good day. At your worst day, you are a child of God. And the Lord is tugging at your heart and the Lord is, is trying to reach you. If you're here, you have a faith. If you're here, you're, you're either in this place where you're walking with him or you're going to start this journey. You got an invitation maybe today and God is drawing you in or God has already drawn you in and you are a child of God. And if you're not today, become a child of God 
No longer an enemy of God, alienated from God, but enter into the sheepfold and become a child of God today. It's the best decision that you could do is to cry out, Abba, Father, and it's truly meaningful in your heart. That's who you really are. You're a child of God. We could walk a little different, be a little bit more joyous, lift up your heads a little bit, because when you walk on this earth, maybe your father on this earth doesn't own a golden throne. Maybe your father on this earth doesn't own a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. Maybe, you're, maybe the father on this earth doesn't have all the riches and glory for you. But I'm telling you that one day you will walk into the gates of the one whose streets have made for you streets of gold, where he has made many mansions, and he tells you, well done, good and faithful servant, and your father will pierce you with his eyes and embrace you with his love and call you his son and his daughter. That's who we are. They, no, no, that's not who we are. That's who we really are. We're sons. We're daughters of God. How many of you are just like, praise God for that? The father has delight in you. Maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know if anything or anyone has ever or will ever have delight in me. Today we say that's so wrong. The father has great delight in you. Great delight in you. And in that response, we're to, the response is to have delight in him. When I look at the cross and when I see Jesus, instantly I go to the father's delight. The father loves so much that he is willing to go through that extreme to touch this heart. Sometimes we look at it because it becomes religious. We look at it and it becomes just mundane. It's what our faith has always taught us. We sang songs of the crucifixion and we've looked at pictures of the crucifixion since we were in kids' church and we forget the weight and the meaning of what that meant. Jesus Christ on the cross was a great demonstration of the Father's delight in his, hum in his creation, in us to call us sons and daughters of God. In the New Testament, you think about what it's about. Oh, I thought it was Daddy Shark. I was going to start, if it, was, if it was Dada Shark and stuff, we were going to start singing it together. That's a, all right, here we go. The New Testament, you start to say what it's about. We know that all of this points, it's, it's to glorify the Lord and it's to lift up Jesus and it's so that all could come and bow their knees and come to the knowledge of who he is. But through that and in that, we know that, that's for sure. But we see that in the New Testament that God the Father delights. And what does he delight? He delights in forgiving us and providing for us and leading us, protecting us, sustaining us, comforting us, directing us, the Father delights in purifying us, even disciplining us, because a good father also disciplines well. A father, our father's love, he, he gives to us, and he promises us his inheritance, as Scripture teaches us. And yes, all of this, it's not necessarily all because all the New Testament is for us. No, we get it. It points to him and for his glory and for his honor. But when you see what he gives for us, it should humble us. What he offers to us, it should humble us. Um, I, I don't know if it was in Platt's um, um, book, but I remember that uh, I read this thing about John Wesley in his journal. 
And in his journal, he writes this, and I want to share just a sentence of something that John Wesley wrote. He said this, I who went to America to convert others was never myself converted to God. You read that on one page of his journal and, and you say, wow, that's, what, that's a deep statement from John Wesley and out of all people, John Wesley, to say that I went to America to, to bring the gospel to others, to convert others, but yet myself, I was not converted. If you flip the page of his journal, in one of his next statements, he writes this, John Wesley writes, I had even the faith of a servant, though not that of a son. Here's Wesley in his writing, and Wesley says, man, I went to America to convert, but me, myself, I wasn't converted to God because I was serving him and loving him, or I thought I was, or honoring him, but it was as a servant, and I didn't get the understanding of a son. John Wesley himself, and when I read that, I thought, man, many times, you know, my worship, maybe you could come alongside me and say, yeah, our worship, prayers, our outlook in life is like a servant and not like a son. And, and, and when we say that the Father delights in us, the Father delights in you, he wants you to come into this place of sonship and to walk in the freedom of being son and daughter. That you're not called just to be this servant. As sons, it's an honor to serve the Father. A servant while being a son, what is that? I think about my own children, and I look at my children, and, and there's one desire, right? Well, not one, but there's a main desire that I have for my kids. And, and you know, you think about it, and you've heard us say this here. You know, Nancy and I didn't have kids to say, wow, we know there's a lot of stuff to go on in the house. You know, let's have some kids so that way they could help us. And if, if that was our plan, it failed on us. Because <laughs> they haven't cleaned dishes yet, and they haven't done the laundry yet, and yet they have not cleaned my car. That's not the reason why we had kids. I mean, it could have been a great plan if you thought it out that way. Let's have some kids, and maybe they could serve us. Maybe they could make the home a little bit better, and they could cook for us. Maybe when I wake up in the morning, my son will say, Dad, I made you scrambled eggs with ham, and I toasted it at the right degree that you wanted so that the butter could melt exactly how you like it melted on your toast. He hasn't done it yet. Doesn't yet. There's still a little bit of hope. That he hasn't done it yet. We're working on it. And it's not even, I mean, he came up here and danced today. That's it. I, just so you guys can know what I have to deal with. You will think, right? He would walk out, give me a high five. I said, good job. He hugged me. He goes, you owe me one. His exact words. Those were his exact words when he hugged me. It wasn't that happy Father's Day. I did it. You owe me one. And you better believe that when we leave here today, He's going to remind me that he came up here and he sang and he did a little bit of movement and that I owe him one. Whatever, just pray for me every once in a while. As a father, I have this desire and one that I know that they may not understand now, but I hope that they see it. And it's that as their father, I want them to see that I delight in them. Hopefully you're a father that delights in your in your children. What's your favorite thing in your children as a father? You know what I love to do? I love to see them sleep. Not because like, finally. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of that. 
Today was rough. Finally. And I look at him and I said, did you give him melatonin? All my parents know. Yeah, yeah, we have a, we have, um, a monthly shipment that comes, like it just comes automatically. Amazon, it's just you're running short. But when they sleep, I just love it. I, lo- I, I just, I, I don't know, I just want to cuddle with them, you know? And, and the way that they're, they, they just like, so, we have an air mattress now that we bought finally and, and they love to sleep now in the summer. I want to sleep on the air mattress, so we blow it up in the living room. And it's awesome. I, I wake up with them and I just see what's going on. And it's cool to see that my daughter fell off the air mattress. And I just look at her like, how cute. I'm at that stage still. Every little thing is cute. She's five years old. She fell off the air mattress. It's, it's cute. It's adorable. The way she's laying on the floor and she has no idea. I just love watching. How about you guys? What do you, what do you all love? Come on, let's have a conversation. Anyone? What do you love to see in your children? What do you delight in? Other what? Wow, how she thinks. Yeah. Yeah. And they giggle and they laugh. That's good. Yeah. This is Maverick and Ryder's dad talking, baby. We know. We wrestled with them all week, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're wrestling. I can see Ernesto jiu-jitsuing with his son. Is that a word, jiu-jitsuing? How they what? How they pretend, right? They're just their imagination. Love it. Love it. I'm having this conversation with you, and I see smiles on these fathers' faces. Like, you should see your smiles. I wish there was a massive mirror here. You guys look adorable. I'm going to say that as a man to a man. You look adorable, your smiles. Ladies, you, sh- you probably haven't seen these men smile the way they've been smiling. All I'm doing is talking about their kids. You should see their smile. I'm just thinking about what God's face looks like right now and how he's smiling and how he looks at us and what he says. Oh, I love it. I love it when you, when you, when you do this, like we're talking about our children. I delight. I delight when you do this. I delight when you say this. I delight when you go here. I delight when you think this. I delight when you giggle. I delight when you... Imagine what the father right now, if he would speak in his audible voice, what would he say? It's a beautiful thing, and that's what I want. I want my children to see that I delight in them. I know that my father delights in me. And you know how I know that my father delights in me? Because when I fall off a little bit and I'm filled with conviction, it's, an, it's a reminder. It's a reminder that I've hurt the father's heart. And my heart hurts. You've ever been convicted of something that you've did that you know you shouldn't have done? I know I'm not the only one that has sinned in this room. And your heart is broken because his heart is broken. All right, good. We're in the, we're in the right place today. My kids can't work any harder, do anything different, decide to join any other family. Do you know that? Because they don't like maybe the one that they're in now, which they do. One of my favorite things that my son said this week, just this week, was he was taking a shower and we were laughing with him and Jade was doing something crazy behind us. And, and he says, I just love this family. And I wanted to get in the shower and just hug him. So you say a lot of things, but that one I loved. I loved. My kids, my son, my daughter, they're my kids, they're my children. 
Because they really are. Nothing, no one can stop that. It's like that with my father. It's like that with our father. He loves us and delights in us and he allows us to be called his children. And I want you to know that you really are his child and we're allowed to be called his sons. And I want you to really let that sink in because God wanted you. He came to get you so that you might know him as a father. And he wants you to understand and know that. After all, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 verse 5, I'm going to read it. It says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And that is what he wanted to do. And he gave him great pleasure. It gave him great pleasure. He adopted us. He brought us into the family. And he calls us sons. And he invites us to call him Abba, Father. That's the, that's the truth of Scripture. He wants to be known in our hearts. And he wants us to know him. And he wants us to live in that truth here on earth. Think about the beginning, the origin of everything. Let's go all the way to Genesis. I know we always pick on them, but we got to pick on somebody. Here we go. In Genesis chapter 3, you would do the same thing. You would have probably done the same thing. Maybe even worse. Adam and Eve. But let's talk about Genesis chapter 3. We read the story of Adam and Eve. And what do you see in Adam and Eve? We see a man. We see this man. We see Adam. We see Eve. And what we see is man and creation. And they're running. And they're, what are they running to? They're running to find satisfaction apart from their creator. And that's what they're running to in the garden. They're, they're running to find it outside of God, outside of the Father. And, I, and I, th I think about Genesis 3 and Adam and Eve and the fall and all of that stuff and the, in the whole conversation with the serpent and all these things. And I think about how did that make the father feel? I can't imagine feeling that. But guess what? As a father today, having children of my own, I know that at some point I'm going to feel something very similar. <laughs> If you have been a parent for a long time, you probably know what I'm talking about. There's got to have been a moment in your life where your child has done something that you know deep down inside. That's not for their good. They messed up on that one. But you had to let them just do it because they had to decide on their own. And at the end, you needed to show them, I'm still going to be their mother. I'm still going to be their father. As many times as they fall, as many times as they fall short, they're going to come to the realization that dad, that mom, that their parents has nothing but good for them. And that's my life story. As many times as I've fallen and fallen short, my father has always remained faithful. And I've always been able to run back to him. And he's shown me that I'm still here as your father. And I still love you. And it's a beautiful reminder. And it's a beautiful thing that we see in Scripture. Adam and Eve had a great downfall, but it wasn't their end. That wasn't their end. And I'm praying for strength now as a believer, as, as I'm walking, but, but also as a parent, as my children are growing. I want to get into this, this thought here for a moment. And it's in John chapter 6. If you remember, Jesus says something uh, that was very alarming for his day. So alarming that we'll read it. I'm kind of speaking too forward. <clears throat> I'm speaking of stuff that I want to reach in a little bit, but I'll go ahead and, and, I'll, and I'll fast forward. But it was so deep, it was so strong that many of his followers just walked away from him. Can you imagine that Sunday service or that, 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 that gathering? <laughs> the day that the preacher says something so hard and he turns to look at the choir, you know, the old school choirs behind him. And when he turns back, the whole congregation leaves him like, whoa, where'd they go? He says something like this in John chapter 6. We see it. 
But he starts off in his discourse, and in verse 35, he says this, I am the bread of life. I mean, it doesn't even stop there. Later on, he says, and you got to eat me. Can you imagine hearing that from Jesus? You got to eat this. You got to drink this, my blood. So I don't know what people thought there. Oh, this got a little bit too serious. I love the walk as long as it was casual. But when you asked me to get intimate, it was a little too much for me. How many people live like that today? I'm a Christian as long as it's casual, but if you call me to be intimate, that's not for me. No, all of Christianity is intimate. You think the cross and his death on the cross was something casual? You think that was a casual love and delight in you as the Father had for you? That wasn't no casual thing. Hey, son, go down there on the cross and casually dive. No, that was an intimate, fierce love and delight he had for you. So he says, I'm the bread of life. <laughs> and whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Great deal. Great, especially with the prices today. <laughs> Great deal. Give me that so I don't have to eat or drink again and I will save money. If there's something for gas here, put it in the scripture too. Give it to me. But great deal. But what is Jesus really saying here? In one statement, just one statement, I'm not even, I'm not even breaking it down to a degree or... Uh, it's just one statement alone. He communicates with the crowd that he has the provision of God, of God the Father, sent to satisfy their souls. I'm the bread of life. He said, good job. That was the Father's delight. It, it, it was a wink. Let's wink again. Let the Father wink again. Look at the wink. That's the Father's wink. Amen. We love you, Dada. Abba, Father. Just me alone, I, I'm, the, I'm the provision of the Father to satisfy your souls. And if you turn to John chapter 6, we could, let's read 66 through 70. So what transpires after this whole, I'm the bread of life, he who eats of me will never hunger again and will never thirst again. He goes on to say, right, you have to also take my body and you need to, and he starts to talk about his body and his blood and it, it, it freaks a couple of the followers out and a lot of stuff happens in this point in scripture where he, he, he feeds the, what we know as the feeding of the 5,000. If you study this, it wasn't necessarily 5,000. It could have been anywhere up to 15 or even 20,000. I mean, 5,000 is great. But imagine adding another 15 on top of that. What else does he do in this? He walks on water. He, he gives this whole discourse on the bread of life. And, and, and he talks about all these deep things. And in verse 66, after what we just read in verse 35, it says, at this point, many of his disciples, they turned away and deserted him. Listen, Jesus walking on water would have been like, ah, I'm, not, I, not, like I'm not walking away. Like, I've never met someone do that. And Peter does. He's like, oh, shoot. But seriously, like, th that was good enough. Feeding the 5,000, maybe 15,000, like, that was good. Like, and yet many walked away from him. His words were too strong for them. Everything that he had done, it fell short when he began to speak truth. The words were too much. Because it comes to a point where 
Where every single follower, every single person that falls under the words of Christ will have to say, I'm going to take that as truth or not. Regardless of what he's done or what he will ever do. I don't serve God for the miracle. I serve God for the truth that he is. Many of the followers were just searching after him for the miracle. But they weren't just in love with him for the truth that he was. So he had to draw the line. He had to separate what, what we know as, right? The wheat, the tares. He had to do that whole thing. The goat, the lamb. He, he had to draw the line of who his followers were. And it says in verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and they deserted him. And Jesus turned to the 12. We know this story. If you've been in church long enough, if you haven't, enjoy it. It says, are you also going to leave with them? Are you also going to leave? If you've been following Christ and if you've ever had disciples and you've had people that, that, that you've led and, and you've experienced that people have walked away from you. And you could smile and have joy and say, well, guess what? Smile, you're not the only one. The crowds deserted Jesus. What makes you think they won't desert you? How dare they? Don't they know that I have the words of truth? Well, how about the person of truth? And they deserted him. They walked away from him from one second to another. I mean, I would have, thank God I'm not Jesus. I would have been like, I just walked on water. I would have screamed that. I just fed thousands with five loaves and two feet. That wasn't enough. And you're walking away that easy. That doesn't say a word. Doesn't make his point. He just turns around and he looks at the others and he says, are you leaving too? Are you out of here too? Are you going to follow them? And one man stands up. He will eventually become the president of the Jerusalem council. He will become the pastor of the early church. He will start this thing. The Lord would use him with all of his faults, with all of his words spoken out of turn, with all of his errors and mistakes that he's made. And we read them easily through the gospels. With all of those things, this man steps up, Simon Peter, and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? For you have the words that give eternal life. (sighs) Oh, my gosh. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. And then Jesus says to them, I chose the 12 of you. Here you are. It's something different where I've called you guys into. And and I love what Peter does, and I love what Peter gets, and what he understands at this moment. Where will I go? Who will I turn to? It's what we read in 1 John, what John says in chapter 3. He says the same thing. You love us, and you allow us to be called your children. I want you to think about that now for a moment, Jesus. You called us into this, and we really are your children. Where will we go now? Where will we go and, and this is who we are. We, we have to understand this truth of where Peter says, man, where the world may turn away from the truth, I will stand and declare this one statement. Where will I go for his words give eternal life? And we know that he is the Holy One of God. When they're, what do we say last week? When they're teaching our children all kinds of things, when they're teaching our families all kinds of things, I mean, this month is it's baby I mean they're having all kinds of events this month but we stand up and say where will we go for we know that you are the son of the living God we make a stance when everyone else decides to desert his truth 
to run away from his truth, to, to avoid the truth, to say, I don't know. I want a Christianity that loves, and they have the wrong definition of love. True love, guess what it does? It transforms. True love, guess what it does? It convicts. True love, guess what it does? It disciplines. True love, guess what it does? It corrects. It does all these things, and it comes, and it nourishes you, and it builds you up, and it encourages you and comforts you, but you can't grab one spectrum of love and say, I only want that kind of love. You have to have the complete package. And the Father's love for us I'm grateful that when I do well, he whispers in my ear, good job. And I'm grateful that when I don't do well, he convicts my heart and he causes me to repent of my sin. That's how much I know he loves me. He loves me. If he didn't love me, he wouldn't convict me of my sin. These Christians that could walk around and say, I'm just never convicted. I'm like, I don't know if, do you know his love? We receive the comfort, but we also receive the correction. And, and, and this is beautiful because he looks at the 12 and he says, you're mine. You're the ones that I'm calling into this thing. And, and this is the Father's delight in us. Where everyone walks away, you've received the fullness of the truth. You've accepted all of the truth. And you've understood the Father's heart. I mean, Jesus tells one of his very own disciples who says, show me the Father. He says, I don't have to show you the Father. Never do I have to show you the Father. Because if you've seen me, you've seen him. You've seen the Father. I am the Father's heart demonstrated for you. I am the Father's message spoken to you. I am the Father's life lived out before you. If you see me live, you've seen the Father live. If you see me talk, you've seen the Father talk. If you see me work, you've seen the Father work. I and the Father are one. Imagine being Philip that day. Oh, okay. Sorry. Still learning this doctrine stuff, God. Jesus, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how you and Father are still one. I don't know. You see me, you know him. You, you understand him. I love Psalm 139. We've, I feel like we read this here at least once a year. But Psalm 139, we see the majesty and we see the power of God. We see his sovereignty, right? His omniscience, we see his all-knowing, his total knowledge. We see all that. We see that he's aware of all that is going on. We, we see that he's um, omnipresent, meaning he's present in all places at all times. We see this, this amazing awesomeness of God. I'm going to read it to you just because it's awesome. <laughs> Even the dogs say amen. That's when you know church is going good. When the, when the preaching is good, the, the dogs say amen, amen. All right, Psalm 139, verse 1. Follow along with me. Let the, let the scripture just minister to your heart. Look what it says. Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up. How many of you can say up? You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do, verse 4. You know where I'm going to stay even before I say it, Lord. What I'm, what, I'm, what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too great for me to understand. Verse 7, I can never escape 
from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Sounds like Peter and David are on the same page here. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, even there your hand will guide me. And come on, what a father this is. And your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. How many of you have experienced this with the Lord, your father, with your father? To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body, knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still there. And then he goes on to skip some in verse 23. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Do you see the relationship here? Do you see the whole package here? You know, you read this Psalm, Psalm 139, and you really have to understand David's life, his struggles. Because David had struggles, I get it. You might look at him as a great king, as a great warrior, but many struggles, many moments where he didn't do well. Many moments where he fell short, where he turned his back on God. And I know I'm, you guys all understand that. He had struggles and these experiences that he had, not all of them were pleasant, though he had many pleasant ones. But if you notice, in life at times, humanity, we could pursue pleasures. Whether it's food or music, relationships, Whatever it is, we pursue all kinds of stuff in our life. But I want you to write this down. If you haven't heard anything that I've said today, it's this. We need to remember that our deepest craving is not for something, but for someone. And right here, David says it, and he's crying this out to his God. Lord, my craving is for you, so search me and tell me if you find anything there that's not good. And that is the truth of every single one of us. Our craving has to be for the one who is the Lord, the one who is God, and not for all the things that we get. I think about Luke chapter 5. Maybe you've read this story, you know this story, you've heard this story. Maybe it's your 100th time, or maybe it's your first time. But it's a story of the paralytic, and I'm going to read it to you. It says that Jesus was teaching in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And as he was teaching, the religious leaders were there. The religious leaders were there and they were sitting nearby and these men showed up from all over Judea, all over Galilee, all over Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And it says in verse 18 of Luke chapter 5 that some men carried a paralyzed man who was on a sleeping mat. You've ever heard this story? It's a very popular uh, story in the New Testament. And they tried to take him inside to see Jesus. 
But the, they couldn't reach him because the crowd. So they went up to the roof and they took off some of the tiles. And when they lowered the sick man on his mat into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Imagine this scene. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law began to grumble <clears throat> amongst themselves. And they said, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. It says, Jesus, though, knowing what they were thinking, he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and he says, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Immediately, everyone watched. The man jumped up, <clears throat> picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, and they began to cry out, we've seen amazing things today. <laughs> yeah, you have. I mean, you read this passage as Jesus is not just healing the paralytic, but what is he doing? The greatest miracle, he's forgiving him. We view Jesus as the only one who could save us from our sins. But we forget that he's the only one that could satisfy our souls. He's not just healing the man from his, from his paralytic state. And he's not just forgiving him of his sins. The man walks home and he's praising the Lord. He's satisfying his soul. And I, we don't have time to go so deep into that passage. But in that passage, you could all relate to that paralytic man. Where at some point you were sick. Where at some point there was something ill about your life. Where you've grown distant from God. Where you needed a touch from God. A miracle from God. Have you ever been there? You've ever cried out to God where you've had no more tears? I just need the Lord to do something in me. And, then, and in this moment I could relate to this paralytic man. And maybe just like me you're here today. And you want to know this God. And maybe you once knew this God. But you've taken some steps off track you want to have this faith that through Jesus Christ man my soul can be satisfied you might know him as your Lord and as the only one who could forgive and conquer sin but you're here today and as we get ready to end you say but I desperately I desperately need to know him as the one not that just forgives me of my sins but that comes in and satisfies my soul forgives and satisfies me once and for all I'll repeat what he says. I am the bread of life. Look at the satisfying of the soul. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. And whoever believes in me will never thirst again. So I say, Father, I want to be your son. I want to feel your love. I want to, I want to hear you call me son. I want to live knowing that I am your son, that I really am. Maybe you're here and like, I can't run anymore. Maybe you know someone, you say, hey, I'm going to share this message with someone today that I know that needs to know that they can't run anymore. Because just like Peter, just like David, you say, where can I go? To whom can I turn to? I'm chasing pleasures, but they all fall short. They don't satisfy my soul. Today, my deepest craving is not for something or someone else, my deepest craving is you, Lord.
Father, thank you for delighting in me that I could come to a place and my life can now delight in you. David Platt says this in his book that I was telling you about, and I want to quote him. He says this, this is how we overcome the pleasures of sin. Listen to this. By letting Christ overcome us with the power of his satisfaction. When lust, lying, greed, possessions, pornography, promised pleasure, we fight their appeal with fulfillment in Christ. We know, we believe, and trust that Jesus is better. And we refuse to give in to that sin because we have found greater gratification in our Savior. Powerful statement. In Psalm 40, verse 8, you could put this verse up. The psalmist writes this, I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written in my heart. I take joy because you are my father. I am your son. Your words are spoken. Fathers, remember when I asked what delights you about your child? Because we're going to close in prayer. But I want you to think about this. I tell this to my kids every once in a while, and I don't know if they get it yet, but they'll get it. When they're being disobedient, when they're doing whatever they want to do, when they're having a, a fit, I say, do you love me? Do you love me? And I get it out of them. Yes, I love you. I was like, then how can you show me you love me? And then my daughter loves to say, I'll give you hugs and kisses. And she hugs and kisses me. I'm like, no, that's not enough. I loved it. Thank you. Keep on. But it's not enough. Do you love me? What's the answer to do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The father asks his children today with a smile on his face, children, do you love me? I delight in you, but do you delight in me? How do you show the father whether you delight in him? And do as I say. Follow my word. Follow my instructions. Isn't that true now, being a parent? Being a parent, and my kids, when they trust their father's words, it brings joy because they find assurance in my words. And they find safety in my words. They find truth in my words. The psalmist says, I take joy in doing your will, Father. I take joy in that because your instructions are written in my heart. I live in love and in joy. And the way I show that is by obeying the instructions that are in my heart. I'll end with another quote from Platt. He says, such a request for pleasure in this world reflects a lack of contentment in Christ. The more Christ fulfills the cravings of our souls, the more he changes our taste capacities from the inside out. The more he changes our taste capacities from the inside out, the more Christ fulfills the cravings of our souls. So I guess the main thing I could just say here is desire God, delight in God, because he has first desired you and delighted in you. Before you ever knew what it meant to love him, he's shown you that he's first loved you. 
and come to that place of knowing the Father's delight and know how we, you know how we end every single Sunday with three words. You are loved. Maybe one of us failed. Maybe I failed. But when we say you are loved, you are loved by your Father who is in heaven. He delights in you. Delight in Him. And let your life give honor and glory to our Father. Amen? Can you stand with me this morning? Lord, we thank you, Lord, as we stand before your presence. As we sit under this word. There's different stories and different events in scripture that we touched up on today. Maybe the one that hit us was the crowds. The crowds that walked away from you and the ones that stayed with you. Lord, more than ever, we're seeing that many are walking away. Governments, laws, the direction of our world is, is heading or it's headed or it's maybe already arrived to an anti-Christ ideology. It's anti-Christ. It's anti-gospel. It's anti-true love. It's anti-hope. It's, it's anti what we know our scripture teaches. And the whole earth is turning towards it and falling for it and walking towards it. And they've forgotten that you just fed thousands. They forgot that you just walked on water. But most importantly, they've forgotten that you are the absolute truth. That you are the definition of truth and love. Maybe, Lord, we could relate to the paralytic. We've all been in a great need. We've all had this need and at some point, Lord, we just needed you to look at us and you looked at us and, and not only did you just say your, sons are your sins are forgiven but you looked at your child and you said as I forgive your sins I enter and I'm going to satisfy your soul from this moment forward I pray Lord God that we would not be so stuck on on any distraction or on sin on any other pleasure that we're missing out on the Father's delight. I pray, Jesus, that we would grow closer to you, more intimate with you, because the more we know you, the more we know the Father. If we see you, we see him. If we hear you, we hear him. So, Lord, I thank you because on this great Father's Day, wherever we're at, whether we have children, whether we have our fathers here with us today and they're present, or whether we don't have children and maybe our father is not present, every single one of us has this one thing in common today, that we all stand right now before the presence of the one who is the true father, our true father who is in heaven. 
And in this room, we are all sons and daughters of God. And I pray, Lord God, that you would touch every heart right here, that you would touch every mind, that you would touch every soul, and that they would begin to live in greater delight over you. As today you smile on us and you delight in us and you embrace us and you love us, that our response is to live holy and righteous and pure, that we would find joy in you, God, because your instructions are written in our heart. So, Lord, we thank you for this awesome day that you've given us. You are such a good, good father. And those words in our vocabulary still fall short. You're good, God. Thank you. Our hope, our joy, our pride, our faith, all of it is in you. Jesus Christ, thank you for showing us the Father's love. We love you. We thank you and we praise you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Come on, church, together we say amen. Can you give him some praise? He's worthy. Amen. Hallelujah.